It's so good to be together again this week, and it's been an unusual week, although what is a usual week? Special thanks to Joe and his wife, Christina, for leading us in worship, not in this place, but long distance. And the reason this happened, and I have some good news and an update, Joe does not have COVID. Uh, Someone on our staff team had COVID this week and is now recovering and improving, but Joe had a long, prolonged exposure with that person and waiting for test results. But we just got the results and they were negative. So we celebrate that. And the person on our staff team is recovering. So we're thankful to God. And just reminding us that we take it week by week and day by day, we're seeking the Lord, making prayerful decisions and staying grateful during this time too. So thank you for taking time to dive into God's word with us. We're in the book of Isaiah and let's go ahead and pray together. Father God, thank you for your provision, your protection. Lord, thank you for every blessing we have in our lives. And thank you, Lord, that you call us to walk by faith. And sometimes, Lord, when we don't have what we usually have or things get more simple, uh, we return to you because we see our need for you. We see your goodness and we praise you and we trust you together as family. And we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. To whom will you compare God? That is the question that Isaiah brings to the nation. To whom will you compare God? And at the time, the nation had a lot of division. And they needed unity and they needed restoration. He brought the question to a nation where there was a lot of deception and a great need for grace and truth. He brought the question to a nation that was spiritually stumbling and needed to return to God, need to be built up in their faith. To whom will you compare God? That is a question that stirs our heart, stirs our soul, and brings us into a place of awe and wonder before God. Another way of saying it, more common language today would be, where's your focus? Where's your focus right now? Isaiah was speaking to a nation that had lost their primary focus. And their focus had shifted and drifted away from God. And they were focused on discouragement. They were focused on what they were missing. They were grumpy. Sometimes they were fake, two-faced. And they were very much in despair. And Isaiah brings this question again to stir them, to return to God, to return to a relationship with God with awe and wonder and to raise their eyes from the trouble of the day and the deception, the discouragement, the division and return to God and his goodness. And that's a call on our life. That's a call on our country right now. That's a timely word in a timely question. As you consider where your focus is, Here's a theme for today. It's a truth. The more you focus on God, the more fulfillment you have in your life. The more fruitful your life will be and the more healing there will be in our land. Right now, we need healing in our land. And people are wondering, can life still be fulfilling? Can life with God still be fruitful? And the answer is yes, God can. The more we focus on God, the more fulfilling our lives are, the more fruitful our lives are, and the more healing there is in our country. It's a healing we need right now. So we want to shift our focus today. And really the question is, who is God? There's not a more significant question in our lives. Who is God? J.I. Packer is an author and a theologian who just went to be with Jesus, his homecoming. He's in glory now. But he wrote a book, Knowing God. If you've never read that book, I encourage you to check that out. And especially if you want to grow deeper in your relationship with God. I want to share a quote from J.I. Packer. Knowing God 
is a relationship calculated to thrill a person's heart. Is that how you view God and knowing God? Thrilling to the heart. There is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic. It's based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me so that no discovery can disillusion him about me. In other words, God knows us completely and loves us completely. That's the truth in the combination and that changes our lives. And J.I. Packer adds, for the Christian, the best is always yet to be. Our father's wealth is immeasurable and we will inherit the entire estate. In God's presence, there's no greater gift than God's presence. It's where we will spend eternity in his presence, in his goodness, in his love. And it's always the best is yet to come for someone who's following Jesus. J.I. Packer lays out that perspective and encourages us as we think about who is God? Who is God? When I was in high school, there was a theater and I grew up in Minneapolis and St. Paul, the Twin Cities, Minnesota, called the Omni Theater. And the Omni Theater was different than other theaters. Most screens were rectangular and you would go and you'd fix your eyes on a somewhat smaller screen. But the Omni Theater covered the entire ceiling, not small and rectangular, but filled the whole room. And regardless of the topic, whether it was the galaxy, the stars, or it was underwater and in the ocean, or looking at animals, the human body, land, whatever the topic was, there was awe because of the vision and the picture and the experience you had in the Omni Theater. Today, let's consider three Omnis about God. First of all, omnipresent. God is everywhere. And then omnipotent. God is all-powerful. And omniscient. God is all-knowing. Because when we get a glimpse of God for who he really is, not a false view or a tainted view, but for who he really is, he is omnipresent. He is uh, omnipotent. He is omniscient. This is our God. This is the God who we worship. And when we realize who he is, then we're stirred in that awe, that wonder comes back. Has that awe and wonder been strong in your relationship with God recently? God full of awe and wonder when we approach him. And when we open up the Bible, we want to see more of God. We want to know God. We want to go deeper with God. And Isaiah is God's instrument to take us there in this passage. Now, Isaiah is going to use all his gifts and resources. The Holy Spirit's working through him. Sometimes it's poetry. Sometimes it's prose. Sometimes it's personification. Uh, sometimes it's prophecy. But here it's anthropomorphism which is describing God in human terms. And Isaiah is going to use three images. First, God's heart. Second, God's hand. And then third, God's mind. It forms an outline for today as we want to know God better. God's heart, God's hand, and God's mind. Let's start with God's heart in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart he gently leads those who have young. I love that phrase, close to his heart. Picturing a shepherd literally carrying a sheep close to his heart. But even when the sheep wander far away, those sheep are still close to his heart. A shepherd has a combination of tenderness and toughness, gentleness and firm. And ultimately, every image of a shepherd points to Jesus, our good shepherd. This passage points to Jesus, and it reminds us that he carries us close to his heart at all times. Father God, uh, we have the image of a parent, 
a perfect God. Maybe you've grown up with a fatherless home or difficulties with your earthly dad, but our heavenly father heals those wounds. Our heavenly father, we think of the image of parenting, and I'm so grateful that I'm a dad. I have four kids that I love so much. And when I look through Isaiah and what's happening, I see how the people are always close to the Father's heart. In Isaiah chapter 26, God will keep in perfect peace those who are steadfast, who keep their minds, who keep focused on God. The Father's heart is that we would have peace. And that's something I pray for my kids, that they would have peace. We'd have peace in our home, peace in their relationships. But then you also see in Isaiah that they drift. And in fact, Isaiah calls them to return to the one who they've rebelled against. And maybe you're a parent, maybe you've had seasons or even years where your kids have just gone a completely different direction than you desire and ever saw coming. And yet your heart is still so close to them. And you want, instead of distance, to be closer physically and relationally and emotionally, and you want that closeness. Well, the Father knows what that feels like. And then there's a cry out from Isaiah, even in our distress, remind us of your love, O God. And when I see my kids in distress, I mean, this is something small this week, but there was a cat in our neighborhood who scratched one of our kids and I saw what happened. And there's just something that swells up in dad. It's like, all right, you mess with my kid. You're messing with me. All right, where is that cat? You know, you just want to protect. And that's a father's heart to protect the children. Why? Because they're close to his heart. There is a continual closeness. And this is linked to God's omnipresence that he's everywhere, that he wants to be close to us at all times. We are close to his heart at all times. Is that how you view God? That you are so close to his heart and he cares so much about you? This is the goodness and love of the heart of God. Isaiah is trying to remind the people to return to this first love. Well, sometimes in life, uh, things are difficult and we say, I don't feel God's love. And we wonder, why is this happening? There's a lot of people in the year 2020 who are wondering, why is this happening? And I'm not feeling God's love right now. Well, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 27, we pick up on this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. What the people are saying is, I don't feel loved by God. I don't feel close to God. In fact, I feel like he's gone and he's not here and he's kind of forsaken me and maybe he's angry at me and he doesn't care, but I don't feel his love anymore. And there's a lot of people who have that same feeling. And as you see this played out in the book of Isaiah, in 722, Assyria comes in and takes the northern 10 tribes away. And then 586, Babylon comes in. And you know what? They take over Jerusalem. This has not happened in like, you know, over 500 years that a foreign army would come in and take over Jerusalem. Imagine if a foreign army this year came into Washington, D.C. and just took over. Imagine the fears and the worries and the panic that would happen and break out. The disappointment, the discouragement, the despair that would result. That's how the people felt. They did not feel the love of God. And there's going to be moments in our lives where we're not feeling the love of God, life doesn't make sense, life is not fair, people mistreat us, and we kind of wonder, God, where is your heart? Because I don't feel it right now. But this is what we see in that same verse called by name, Jacob in Israel. You're going to see that over and over in Isaiah, uh, over 15 times, Jacob, Israel. Synonyms, parallel, But there's more to it than just the names, Jacob and Israel. 
when you're a parent, you know your child and you know your child's name. And God is saying, Jacob, Israel. In other words, you'll always be my son. You'll always be my daughter. And Jacob used to be the name. And then Israel became the name. Jacob represents a little more of the old, which was cunning and selfish. And Israel represents a little more of the new calling, new name, and go bless the nations. Uh, there was uh, a transformation that happened. God loves us before we change. God loves us as we're changing. God loves as he changes us to be more like Jesus. There was division in the 12 tribes, 10 in the north, two in the south. God still close to his heart, even though there's division in the family, even though there's division in the relationship, God is still everyone there in the family close to his heart, 10 in the north, two in the south. And even when their biggest challenges come and there's distress, close to God's heart. That's a theme again and again. And you know what? The story doesn't always end so neat and tidy with a ribbon around it. The 10 tribes, they're not going to return from exile. The two tribes that go to Babylon, they will return. But God's going to love them. He's going to love Israel and the 10 tribes, even though they're never going to regather into that land. And sometimes the story plays out that way. But he also loves the two tribes, though they're in exile and returning to the land. In all this, they are close to God's heart. He's omnipresent. That's who our God is. That's who we worship. Always close to his heart. So we receive his love. We read about his love. It's not enough just to read about it. Open up your heart today. Receive his love. Return to God. Why? Because God's heart is full of goodness and love. Full of goodness and love for you. God couldn't love you more. That's his heart. Don't believe anything else. And Isaiah is reminding the people, they're not going to return to God if they believe God's heart is not full of love and goodness, but it is. The devil would like you to think that God's heart is not full of love and goodness. It is full of love and goodness. And that's affirmed throughout the Bible, affirmed by the Holy Spirit. And we need to receive his love today, today. That's God's heart. And then it leads us to God's hand. Isaiah chapter 40 Verse 12, verse 11 talks about his heart. Verse 12 talks about his hand. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Now, those are powerful questions and the Bible's full of powerful questions. And those questions remind us that God's hand is mighty. God's hand is strong. He's omnipotent. He has all power in his hand. And I'm going to continue to read more of the questions and the description of God's mighty hand. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Notice talking about the majesty of God and yet four times personal you. Do you, do you, do you, do you. And so there's a personal connection in a transcendent, majestic God. Verse 25, to whom will you compare me or who is my equal? says the Holy One. 
Lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name? Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Now, I have a few pictures of some stars. Last week, I went down to Eugene and uh, was able to spend some time with Ben Cross, who's one of the pastors here about 15 years ago. And uh, Ben and I have a great friendship. I'm so grateful for the decades of God's faithfulness and so many different people that have served in our church family, uh, Grace Community Church, through from starting the 1950s. And I'm grateful for Ben. Ben, in addition to being a very gifted teacher, also is gifted with photography. And that night that I was spending time with Ben, he was going to go up and take these pictures. And what you see here is uh, Neowise, the comet. Ben, in the middle of the night, took pictures of the comet. You see two pictures of the comet. This one's uh, framed, just beautiful. As we look up, we're reminded of God's power, his beauty, his sovereignty. And then also, here's a picture that Ben took of, that's the Milky Way, and that's Saturn. And, uh, and so we see just to the left there, uh, you see Saturn and Jupiter, and then the Milky Way. And beautiful. It's good to look up and remember the greatness of God, the grandeur of God, and just kind of puts us in our place sometimes. Uh, creation can really humble us and yet inspire us as well. When you think about the stars and God putting each one in place, our family is going through a devotion at night, uh, Lori and I and the kids, and I wanted to share some facts from that devotional book. A galaxy is a collection of stars, and in the Milky Way, the one we just looked at, uh, 100 to 400 billion stars. See, that's quite a wide range. That's because no one can count. I, I realize that's a plus or minus that's pretty significant, but how are you going to count all those stars? God counts them all. God knows them. He places them. We can't count them. In fact, if we counted one star per every second, we would be counting for 3,168 years. That's a long time to be counting stars in the Milky Way. We're never going to be able to count all those stars. There's also another galaxy called the Whirlpool Galaxy. Sounds kind of nice, doesn't it? Uh, 30 million light years away. Remember, a light year is 5.8 trillion miles. This is the vast expanse that God has laid out. And with uh, this uh, Whirlpool galaxy, there is an X structure with a black hole. But the X structure, if you just tilt it a little bit to the side, it looks like a cross. And you think about that black hole, one million of our suns could fit in that black hole. And it's 1,000 light years across. Doesn't it kind of boggle your mind just trying to wrap around uh, just how big the universe, the galaxies are? And then there's one other star I want to highlight. It's called uh, Betelgeuse. That's how you pronounce it. 640 light years away. It's so big that it's 262 trillion earths would fit inside of it. And the wonder I think about is God has placed us on this earth just perfectly at the right rotation, the right distance from the sun, the right climate. I know sometimes people get upset. It's a little too warm. It's a little too much rain. But imagine as you think about the whole universe, where God has placed us, and yet the Bible says he's mindful of us. Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth and in the heavens above, and yet you are mindful of us, that somehow God knows everything about you, at the same time, transcendent, creator, sustainer. I think creation reminds us of our need for our maker, 
He's the one who sustains us. He created us. He provides for us. He's our protector. He's our comforter. And we're inspired. We see the beauty and the wonder, the power. We see God's hand. You know, Job was someone in the Bible that went through some very um, difficult times. And he started to lose his focus uh, for part of that. Now, he continued to praise God. He handled it admirably. I'm not here to criticize Job in any way. But by the end of the book of Job, he had this conversation with God and uh, Job uh, had gone through so much and he was there and he wanted to meet with God. And in Job chapter 38, let's take a look at this conversation between Job and God. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you? When I laid the earth's foundation, tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or what were its footings set? And who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. It's like, where were you? What did you know about that? Were you there during that time? Uh, do you, did you set it all in place? Do you sustain everything? And Job was taking this in. And uh, he got honest with God and God brought truth with grace to Job. And as Job took that in, it's changed Job. It changed his perspective. And mighty God humbles us when we realize how great he is. We realize how big he is and how small we are. We realize how strong his hand is and how much our hands need his help. And then it instills and cultivates a healthy fear of God. If we have no fear of God, we will mistreat each other. We will not be grateful. We will be lazy. If we have no healthy fear of God, we get sidetracked. And this, it recalibrated Job to see who God is and to just pull him out of some of the self-pity and, and pull him out of himself a little bit and lift up his eyes and see the greatness of God. And Isaiah's trying to help a nation to do that as well. Because the awe at that time, there was awe for Assyria, oh, and their military strength. There was awe for Babylon, oh, and their mighty power. And Nebuchadnezzar and the greatness of that king and the greatness of these nations. And that's where all the awe was. But there was not a wonder that was strong towards God. And God straightens it out in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15. He says, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Uh, that would actually be comforting to know that the nations are just like a drop in a bucket. Why? Because Assyria and Babylon were cruel. And to be reminded that God reigns over Assyria and Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, that's comforting. But then it's also a reminder that even though they're kind of puffed up and think they're big stuff, God can just kind of, and they're gone, and they're gone. And God's hand reigns over the most powerful nations, over the most powerful leaders. And whatever we're in awe of, whatever we worship down here on earth, God says, it can just be gone. He's that powerful. And he's reminding the people at that time, the perspective is coming back to the people of who God is. The pagan religions, they believe that God, the false gods, 
the idols. Uh, they were formed. They didn't initially exist. There was ancient matter. But then these gods, these mythical gods, they were formed later. That is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, the one true God, he always existed. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He always existed. He will always exist. He's self-sufficient and uh, he's self-existent as well. And he is the source of every good thing. And that's a huge difference. And when you think about the God that we worship, uh, transcendent, personal, always existed, and uh, we can trust his hand. I want to read one more verse from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. God does not just get exhausted. God does not just fall asleep. God does not run out of power. That's not our God. Whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're facing, however daunting it may be, God has enough strength to handle it. God has enough strength and power to handle it and to help you handle it. And by the love in his heart and his mighty hand, he will walk closely with you during this time. He certainly will. That's the message from Isaiah to be received. And not only God's heart in his hand, but also God's mind. God's mind. Chapter 40, take a look at uh, verse 13. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? And the implied answer to this is no one. No one has fully understood the mind of the Lord. Uh, but let's go with these questions again. More powerful questions to draw us to God. Verse 13, who has understood the mind of the Lord? Who has instructed him as his counselor? Who has ever been God's counselor? No one. Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? This is the omniscience. God is all-knowing. No one's ever taught God. No one's ever counseled God. No one's ever showed God something he didn't understand. Uh, here's some things you'll just never hear God say. Thanks for teaching me. Uh, God will never say, oh, that was my blind spot. I didn't realize that. I was wrong. You were right. That will never come from God. Uh, God will never say that, oh, I didn't realize that. That, that surprised me. Uh, my math was off. My timing was off. You know, God has no need for autocorrect. I need autocorrect all the time when I'm texting. God has no need for any correction. He's never going to say, oh, I didn't think about that. Or that was too difficult for me. Or he's never going to say, yeah, that was impossible. Or that was too complex. Uh, God isn't going to say those things. But then let's go back to our brains. Do you know how much your brain weighs? What, what would be your guess? Three pounds. Three pounds of brain. That's about average right there. Okay, maybe you've got four pounds. Maybe you're very intelligent. Maybe you have many degrees. But let's say it's four pounds and four degrees or even eight degrees that you've made it through. You're so educated and so forth. Four pounds. Do you get the picture here? We've got four pounds of brain and we're comparing this to infinite wisdom with God. Would you agree there's a little bit of arrogance in saying, God, I think I'm right and you're wrong. 
God, I'm going to call the shots. God, I think I have this figured out. God, I think your word is false. God, I think I have a better way than your way. God, watch me and learn. I'm going to teach you a few things, God. Do you see a little four-pound brain telling the creator who has infinite wisdom that I'll take it from here. You're wrong. I'm right. I've got the smarts. Uh, That's the irony. And idols is how this plays out because when we reject God, even though his heart is good, even though his hand is mighty, even though he's all-knowing. When we reject God, we're going to form idols. Idols mean substitutes for God. And that was common in the land then. It's common today. Uh, Idols are ridiculous in one hand, very absurd, but they're very real. And we read about them right here in verse 18. To whom then will you compare God? What image will you compare him to? As for an idol, a craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A man too poor to present such an offering, selects wood that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not topple. Okay, back then, a little different. Uh, They actually made little idols. And there's two different idols that are pictured here. One of them has gold on the outside. One category of idol would be shiny gold idols. These would be things that look impressive. These would be things that are expensive, possessions that we own. Sometimes it's our career. Sometimes it's our achievement. And when we're looking really good, we have stuff that looks good. Sometimes we just essentially bow down to it or put it first in our lives. Sometimes it's even a person in our lives. That's the shiny gold idol. But then there's a second category of idol that's falling down. And this is the one that, oh, I hope it can stand up, but it really, it's going to topple over. And this is the one that's not impressive. It's not expensive. And this is the one, a lot of times with idols, it's linked to maybe an attitude or shame or guilt or something embarrassing, something we're not proud of, but we're clinging to as uh, number one in our lives. And it could be a secret sin, a secret addiction. This is not the shiny gold one that we want everyone to see. This is the idol that's more tucked away, that's maybe not even going to stand up. It's going to fall down, and yet we're still worshiping it. It's down, it's broken, it's dead, it's not living, and we're going to worship it. And those two idols back then, they're symbolic of idols today. And how do we respond? You're going to become whatever you worship. You will become and be like whatever you worship. So if you worship idols, eventually it leads to emptiness, disillusionment, uh, loneliness, pain, and frustration. When you worship Jesus, fulfillment, healing, it's life, abundant life, and you become more like Jesus. You become whoever you choose to worship, whatever you choose to worship. Yeah, you get really good at that. You become like the one you're worshiping. And as it relates to the mind of God, when you worship Jesus, when you're in the word, God develops the mind of Christ in you. He takes and kind of downloads from heaven the mind of Christ in you. That's powerful. God's love, God's power, God's wisdom, God's mind, wisdom. He wants us to receive it. And we have that image of God. Again, his heart full of love and goodness, his hand full of strength and power, and then his mind full of wisdom. And chapter after chapter, Isaiah will bring us back to this. Who is God? This foundational, instrumental, pivotal in our everyday lives and for eternity. And that we be stirred for awe and love with God. 
Now, 2 Samuel 6 is a passage I want to refer to. And the picture here is David. There were difficulties. People at the time in that nation wandered away from God. In fact, it was symbolic of the ark, which was captured and missing. And they wanted to return, uh, bring the ark back. They were hungry for God's presence. It was symbolic. As they started to bring the ark back, you know what happened? Uzzah was not respectful. And he handled the way, uh, uh, the ark in a way that was inappropriate. And he died. Uh, God showed his holiness. And so David in this passage, you know, the nation's been wandering. He's trying to seek God. Uzzah dies. There's a tragedy. He's grieving. And the Bible says David felt afraid and David felt angry. So this is not just a simple, you know, as we look at these verses, it's not just like, oh, great, celebration, praise, everything's going well. No, David felt angry. David felt afraid. And even with God, there were some things going on there that weren't healthy. And yet what did David do? He continued to trust God, go to God, and the ark was brought back. And then we have this picture of what happened with David and his wife, Michelle. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michelle, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. David said to Michelle, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. And I will celebrate before the Lord. Make that decision. I will celebrate before the Lord. And I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. In other words, some people can see the difference between someone who's just religious, Michelle, and someone who has a vibrant relationship with God, David. David's going to receive grace over his own sin. He's going to receive grace. The nation's going to turn to God. And he's going to celebrate and praise God. So what's the difference here? Uh, David is really bringing, he brings the ark up. He brings the ark up. He brings the praise up, the dances up, the, the singings up. All this he's bringing up in Michelle, she is going to bring David down. When things, a religious spirit is revealed, how bringing people down. You can always tell the phony from the real thing because the phony, the religious spirit just brings people down and accuser and doesn't have a heart of praise, doesn't have a teachable heart, doesn't have a heart for unity, doesn't have that passionate worship. And that's the difference. That's the decision. And we say, what are we bringing up? What are we bringing down? What are we focusing on? And they had to make some decisions about what to focus on. Here's a challenge. Let's get specific. Um, where's your passion? Do you like to talk about God? Isaiah's talking about God. It's just one of his favorite things to do. Do you like to talk about the goodness of God? Do you like to receive his love? Do you like to praise him? Do you like to share Jesus with other people? Does it just overflow freely out of this relationship you have with the Lord? Uh, that's one option. Or, you know, another option is, and here's my concern. Uh, recently, I feel like in our culture, I'm almost seeing more passion about social distancing, whether we should or shouldn't, masks, whether we should or shouldn't. And I'm thinking, where's the passion for Jesus? If your passion and the message you spread, it's way more passionate than your love for Lord, Jesus, keeping him the focus. I'm not saying other things aren't important, but I'm saying be careful that they don't get exalted and Christ gets diminished. Because why? Uh, we're going to be most fulfilled 
we're going to be most fruitful. We're going to have the most healing in the land when we're focused on the Lord in abiding with Jesus. Uh, Monday, it was significant numerically. I didn't even realize it at the time. 2020-2020. Say what? Uh, in military time, 8 p.m., 20. 8, 20, and 20 seconds. That's 2020, the year 2020. It's never going to happen again. It happened Monday and it was like, I didn't even realize it until just before it happened. I was like, it's 2020, 2020. Didn't even realize it. Why do I say that? This is a very significant time for the church in America. It is a very, very significant time. I believe it's a turning point. It's a defining time. There is so much hanging in the balance in the year 2020, and I'm not sure everyone realizes it. Sometimes as history is played out, you don't even realize what a significant time you're in. Yes, there's difficulties. Yes, we can talk again and again about the difficulties, but there's something more significant than the difficulties right now. It's spiritually significant. And I just want our eyes to be open. Isaiah saw that this was a key time in the history for the Israelites. And I believe this is a very key time for us right now. And so how does Isaiah chapter 40 end? It has a sweet ending and it's the word sore. You picture an eagle soaring. Here it is, starting in verse 28. Do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. In other words, uh, even those who are seen as having lots of vitality, having lots of youth, having lots of energy, even those get tired. Even those get exhausted. In other words, we run out. We just run out of stamina. We run out of steam. Sometimes we feel like we run out of hope. We get exhausted. It's part of the human condition. Maybe you felt that recently. Maybe you felt that as, as this crisis goes on month after month. We got news this week that the schools will not be open for students to come in, the public schools. Uh, our kids are not going to be going back to the school building this fall. And when we heard that news, it's like, okay. Another huge adjustment, another restriction, and trying to just take that in. What does that mean for our home? What does that mean for our schedules? What does it mean for our kids? What does that mean in terms of education? Just thinking through all that, it gets a little tiring. And maybe if you're a parent and you're in that situation, you felt that this week, and it just kind of hit you. Like there, there's another thing that's going to change and not going to be there. And for sports fans, they're wondering, you know, what's going to be available in the fall? Like you, you've got a lot that you're watching. And when there's disappointment and you get exhausted, it can be emotional exhaustion. It can be sometimes in relationships exhausted. And it, it can be just hitting you physically. And that's the picture here. Very realistic about our human condition right here. But then this is the last verse. This is a sweet way to end. Verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord. Hope and wait are together. The, the meaning, to wait, to hope, to hope, to wait. And it's that posture, hoping and waiting. 
And so I want to share a picture. We had vacation for a few days last week, and I took a picture as we went to In-N-Out Burger. That is the line at In-N-Out Burger. And there's a choice. The cars that go throughout the whole parking lot, way in the back, all the way down the line, all the way over to the right, all the way out to the street. When we pulled up, they said, no, you can't even get in line. The line is so long with cars. And then there's the in-person line. And this wraps around and around and around. And you sit in this line, and it's like, okay, are we getting any closer? Are we getting any closer? In-N-Out Burger, it's about three and a half hours away. When we arrived and we started to stand in line, it was moving so slow. It was so hot that day and we were in line for over two hours. All right, so there's the drive and we were coming home from Oregon and then there's the waiting for over two hours. And sometimes in life, you feel like I'm waiting so long. Is there any progress? Is anything going to change? But when you look up and you start to get a vision and you see that In-N-Out logo right there, It's like you get a little bit of hope, a little bit of burger hope. And you start to vision the double-doubles and the shakes and the fries. And sometimes the door opens and maybe you get a little whiff of that. And you just start to envision and you start to picture the goodness. And you gain some confidence. Like every time I've been in in and out, I like that burger. Uh, You get a little hope. Like we're going to make it. We're going to get there. We're going to taste it. And you know what happens? We got all our food. We even packed up. Uh, for neighbors, you know, love your neighbor, get them in and out burger. We delivered some of that to our neighbors. We packed up the trunk. I mean, in and out burger, there we go. Um, and, and all that when we ate, and we're just talking about really good greasy burgers. I mean, it's like we just soared home. I mean, what a difference. Uh, three and a half hours didn't feel that long when you got in and out burger and you, and we're just soaring home. Well, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And maybe you're feeling the intensity of the sun and the heat of the trial. And maybe you feel like there's not a lot of progress. You didn't expect to wait this long and the line's taking much longer. What are we going to do? We're going to hope. It's a sure hope in the goodness of the Lord. We're going to wait. We're going to look up. And you know what? We're going to learn how to trust God in new ways. We're going to learn how to trust God in deeper ways. We're going to learn how to declare, I will worship. In that car, worship music for over three hours on the way home. It was so sweet. I will worship during this time. We can't come in this building right now. I got to tell you, it's strange right now. I'm just looking at a whole bunch of empty chairs today. It's strange, but you know what? I will praise the Lord. You will praise the Lord at home. We're going to worship. We're going to learn how to fast. We're going to learn how to pray. The Bible says when there's trials going on, that's a good time to fast. Skip a meal. We're fasting on Tuesdays. We're going to pray 24-7. We're going to keep praying. We're going to learn how to love our neighbors. We're going to learn how to serve our neighbors. Uh, As this year plays out, we might be giving away. Maybe it's going to be food in Auburn. We don't know what all the needs are going to be. We're going to have conversations. We're going to learn how to have spiritual conversations. We're going to learn how to talk about our faith and share our story. We're going to learn how to lead people to Jesus. We're going to learn how we can all be on mission together. We're going to learn how to use our gifts and help people. We're going to learn a lot this year. But it comes from that posture. Confidence in the goodness of God. I know his heart. I know his hand. I know his wisdom. I know I can taste and see. He is good. And uh, we're going to seek him. He's going to renew. And then the Bible says, when you're abiding with God, He renews you. There's no renewal. I mean, a night of sleep is good, right? A good meal, that's helpful. But there is no renewal like a spiritual renewal. There's nothing more that our nation needs than a spiritual awakening. And what happens? You begin to soar like an eagle. 
Uh, Conway Edwards, a friend from seminary, a pastor in Texas now, talking about eagles. He says that same word is the word soaring, leaving slavery in Egypt. God sets us free from sin and discouragement and traps and sets us free to soar. And then you think of a storm and a hurricane and an eagle's not going to, you know, go to the side and get pounded. An eagle has the courage to go right into the eye of the storm in that low pressure zone and then is lifted above the hurricane. And when it comes to flying, you know, a lot of birds are just flapping, 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 flapping. But an eagle is soaring. An eagle is only going to move its wings for about two minutes every hour. So that's 58 minutes of just what? Sensing, where's the wind? And that's a picture for us. Where's the Holy Spirit? And I pray this for our nation. You think about an eagle. Where's the Holy Spirit moving? Let's go with God. Let's be empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. Instead of just flapping and flapping and complaining and grumbling and getting irritable, let's just ride the fresh wind, the power of God. Let's soar like an eagle. Soar and source couldn't be closer linked. The level that we soar is linked to the source of our love and power in our lives, the source of the wisdom in our lives. Soar and source couldn't be closer linked. And Isaiah is pleading with a nation, shift your source, shift your source, drop your idols, not being selfish and self-centered, but instead trusting the Lord, returning to the Lord. Who is God? To whom will you compare God? He is unrivaled incomparable. This is the God we worship. And I encourage you right now, and maybe it's been a very difficult week, I encourage you right now to draw near to God, to his heart. Let his hand and his power work in your life. Let him just download the mind of Christ as you draw near to him. Let him renew your mind. And this is a song I'm thankful Joe and Christina, husband and wife, beautiful picture, singing this together, reminding us of the goodness of God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can sing of your goodness, that your goodness is steady and consistent. Your promises stand. Your word is reliable. God, thank you that we're always close to your heart. And I pray for anyone right now, God, who feels so low. They've never been this low before. I pray, God, you would lift them up like an eagle. They would find strength in you and you would renew them. God, I pray for people that are feeling so isolated right now. God, that your presence would make a healing difference. I pray for people who are physically wounded, physically down right now, that you would raise them up and heal them. And God, I pray for our land that we would have a national awakening, Jesus, that we would realize how good you are, Jesus, and that you would bring life and hope and unity and a greater love in our land. And I pray for spiritual awakening. Uh, Guide this time, we pray in your name, Lord, as we worship you together. Amen. Amen.